Turn, please, in the scriptures to the book of Psalms. Psalm 124. Let me say what a privilege it is to minister the Word of God to you. It is the joy of my life. I count myself happy and blessed that I can handle the Holy Word of God. Life-changing, life-giving, and uh, that His holy anointing will come on us to enable us, hallelujah, to do so, and that you care enough about him and this work and what he's doing in these places and all the folks at Branson, everybody joining us by internet, that you are here instead of doing something else. And you're not just here to check a box. I can tell. If I rushed it too quick tonight, you'd be like, I shorted us. He's <laughs> you want the full measure. You because <laughs> you love the Lord. Is that right? Praise God. So it is indeed an honor and a high privilege to be to be able to be with you and minister the word to you. Uh, Psalm 124. Verse 1, Psalm 124, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, he said it again, verse 2, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, they'd have swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us, the waters had overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul, the proud waters had gone over our soul. We'd have been overcome, overwhelmed, washed away. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowler. We have missed trap after trap that the devil set for us. <laughs> Our souls escaped as the bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. We got away. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Somebody say, the Lord is my helper. If you back up to the 118th Psalm, Psalm 118, he says... Uh, very similar thing. Psalm 118 and verse 6. Said the Lord. Verse 6. The Lord is on my side. What's the result of that? Hmm? I will not fear. Now if we're full of fear. Then it's because we don't know. That he's on our side. The presence of fear indicates the absence of being fully persuaded that God is really with us, that he's real, and that he's with us to help us. I won't fear. What can man do unto me? 
You know, the Lord told people, uh, uh, he said, don't be afraid of a man that can kill your body. And after that, there's nothing else he can do. <laughs> Didn't he say that? Somebody says, I'm, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you and blow you away. You should think, I'm about to see Jesus <laughs> right now. Well, but before you pull that trigger, are you saved? I mean, I'm ready to go. But you don't act like you are. <laughs> so just a minute here. <laughs> the absence of fear shows the presence of faith. A faith that knows God is real. He's right here with me right now. And he's not just here to watch me while I spiral down the drain. He is here to help me. Help me. Somebody said, the Lord's on my side. side. He went on to say in verse 7, the Lord takes my part with them that help me. Glory to God. Psalm 54 and 4. Psalm 54 and 4 says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. I believe we should meditate on this week after week as the Lord has us on this series. You should just go along every day. Just as as people would say out of the blue, you say, God's my helper. The Lord is with me. He helps me. He's on my side. He's for me. Don't assume you know that. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. I know that. If you knew it, you would be excited beyond words if you really knew it. If it's ho-hum to you, you don't know it. It's just some information you stuck in your head. It's not living and real inside you. No, the Almighty The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is also our Father. Is that right? right. And the Creator, who can do anything power-wise, knows everything. He's for me. He's for me. He's on my side. As we like to say, He's got my back. Uh, skip over to Romans, New Testament. Romans, the 8th chapter. We looked at this last time. Romans 8. Romans 8 and 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us. And the, the implication is successfully. Amen. We know we have an enemy against us. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But who can successfully be. If God is on my side. Then in order to beat my side. You have to beat everybody that's on my side. Right. <laughs> and you might think you could take me. But can you take him? Come on, are y'all with me now? Is he really on my side? Just like a team. 
You know, ball team, baseball, basketball, whatever, dodgeball, whatever it is. <laughs> you may have a couple of players that's not that strong, but if you've got a superstar on your team, is that right? While y'all are running to keep up, he's already made 40 points. <laughs> and we got us a great team. Yeah, he's doing most of it, but yeah, we got a good team. <laughs> still on the team, is that right? A win is still a win. <laughs> Halfway through the game, you may be going, that's right. Get that 68 point. That's right. Do it. He's got it. But if your team won, your team won. That's exactly how it is with us. There's so much we don't know. Our flesh is so weak. We've made so many mistakes. But we got a superstar on our team. The superstar. Hallelujah. And in order to beat us, our team, you got to beat him. Because he's on our team. And the thing is, ain't nobody ever beat him. Nobody has ever beat him. I'm just elaborating on if God is on our team, who can beat us? If God is for us, who can successfully be against us? Somebody say, nobody. 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 <laughs> Go with me over to First Peter. God is on my side. He takes the part with those that help me. He's he's those among those that help me, the greatest one who helps me. First Peter five and seven. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Well, that's another way of saying he's for you, right? Cares about you. Keep going. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil. Now, what does adversary mean? Adversary means the opposite of being for you. It means to be against, to be opposed to, opponent, opposed against. There is someone who's against us. Hmm? But there's somebody who's for us. Right? And if God's for us, who could successfully be against us, and yet he's still against us. And he's going to continue to be against us. And it, is, it doesn't help to try to pretend like there's no adversary. Even you... you you know, people have some goofy ideas. They may not express them completely, but they live like, okay now, devil, I won't mess with you. You don't mess with me. 
We'll just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to cause you any problems. and You don't cause me any problems. Deal? You know what he'll say? Deal. 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 And week after next, he will nail you. If he can. Be sober. So you don't need to be head in the sand. And you don't need to be foolish. You need to be sober. What's sober is opposite of being drunk and being out of it. You need to be awake, alert, and on the watch. Because somebody's out to hurt you. And you don't want to give him any opportunity or any place. So important. We shouldn't just bump along. Much of the world, much of the world is living like there's no God, there's no devil, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's nothing after this life. They're living in a dream. They're living in a fantasy. They're living like they're going to be down here forever. They don't want to talk about death. They don't want to talk about it. Oh, no, no, no. Just enjoy life. Enjoy life. It's this long. I said it's this long. Our days are doing like this. We just finished another week of them. Is that right? Like Tom was saying, another half a year. Hmm? Hmm? How many remember when it was the year 2000? How long ago was that? 1990. Huh? How long ago was that? 1980. Hmm? Decades are going. Is that right? You're not going to be here much longer. If you live another 50 years, if you live another 75 years, whatever, it's going to come and go so quickly. You want to live like you're ready to go now. Is that right? You do not want to live with your head in the sand. Don't want to talk about death. 55 million people will have died and left this earth before the year's over. 55 million. Just about a little over a second, just a second plus, two people leave the planet. Every second. Just a little over. It's not something we should dread as believers. It's actually something we should look forward to. But we want to stay and do our job. And finish up what we're down here to do. (laughs) See how quiet it is? I don't like talking about that. Well then you need to grow up. Because it's going to happen. It's happening all around you. Right? It's going to happen. It depends on when and how. How many people left from the 1700s? How many? How many? Come on, how many? many? So, in another 100 years, how many of us will be around? And the Lord tarries is coming, another 200 years, how many of us will be around? But is that a bad thing? Is that a scary thing? No. 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 
Put, put, put the verse back up for us, please. This is reality. We're here for a very, very brief time. As a believer, somebody's for us. Our God. We also have an enemy. An adversary is against us. And we need to be on the watch about our adversary and give him no opportunities. And we need to be in full faith and cooperating fully and completely with the one who's for us. So he can keep us and do for us and with us what he desires, what his will is. One of the biggest lies and deceptions that the church has bought into is that God is controlling everything and that everything is happening exactly as it is supposed to. That's not true. That's not even close to being true. Are you all with me? There's a select group of people that everything is going to work out for their good. It's those who love God. Those who love God are going to do what he says. That's going to give him access into their life. Come on, are you listening? To cause things to work out. And it's going to also give him access to prevent what the enemy would do. For instance, tithing. So many people fuss and fight about Oh, that's under the Old Testament. It was before the Old Covenant. And it's during and it's after. Jesus talked about it. It's in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. We got teachings on this if you care to, to, to know. A lot of folks don't want to know. <laughs> They'd rather be ignorant. And it's not about what they really believe. It's about the money. We don't even teach that you're supposed to tithe to us or to the church. Shocker. (laughs) We preach that the tithe belongs to the Lord. It's his, not yours. But anyway, if you believed that and you honored him, it's not just about money. It's about honor and it's about access. According to Malachi, if you honor him with that, you tithe in the first fruits of all your increase. He's going to pour out blessing on you. Is that right? And he's going to rebuke the devourer for your sake. He, but, but can you see, your act of honoring him allows him to get between you and the enemy. Where your finances and material things are concerned. Glory to God. We had several things happen in the ministry this week. Where no doubt in my mind, thousands of dollars were saved. The devourers rebuked. We're tithers. It looked like we might have to spend it, but we don't. Glory to God. Don't, Don't need to. That's just like somebody giving you a bunch of money into the ministry. Right? That's not just for 
ministers or churches, that's for every tither. Right? We do have an adversary. He's out to consume and devour and steal and kill and destroy. So when you see stealing and killing and destruction, how ignorant it is to blame God. And yet many do. Well, we just don't know why God's done all these things, but he must have some reason. How about you messed up and let the enemy in? And it wasn't God and it wasn't his will at all. So many things are that way. Selah. Think about it. Religion. People have made the scriptures of no effect by their traditional beliefs. Somebody say, not me. Not me. By the grace of God, I'm going to believe the truth. And the truth makes me free. Put the scripture back up. Do you have an enemy? Yes. Yeah, you do. Do you need to take it seriously? Yes. Do you need to be afraid of it? No. No. But do you need to take it seriously? Yes. Yeah, you do. How do you take it seriously without being afraid? He didn't say be afraid. He didn't say go hide. He didn't say tremble. What did he say? Be on the watch. Be on the watch. The scripture says we're not ignorant of his devices. Be on the watch. Just know that the enemy's trying to work up something against you. I know it's not a nice thought, but it's true. He's trying to find some kind of access to get to you. And that's why we need to be vigilant. What do we need to be vigilant about? We want to make sure we follow our good shepherd real close. Because that's the safety zone. Is that right? We want to stay right under that great big rod and staff. Is that right? Under the secret place of the most. We want to stay real close. Follow him. That's where it's safe. We want to do what he says, when he says, how he says. All gives him uh, access into the earth on our behalf. To help us. He said your adversary. The one who's against you. Who's opposed and against you. The devil. As a roaring lion walks about. Seeking whom he may devour. So there are some he may. And there are some he may not. And we should be greatly interested. In how we become. Those he may not. Hmm? Are you? Well, we, we already see top of the verse. What does the top of the verse say? Sober, vigilant. We need to be on, on alert for the enemy trying to get to us and not let him have any access. Uh, go with me to the book of Revelation. And we begin to talk about how the enemy works against us. It's revealed in the Word of God. In the 12th chapter, Revelation 12. It's revealed in numerous places in the Word. It's not just all a a hidden mystery. It seems like where the devil is concerned, as with so many subjects, 
people didn't get in one ditch or the other. They either talk too much about the devil and they're scared of him. Or they don't talk enough about him and it's like he don't exist. There is a rightly dividing of the word of God. In Revelation 12, the Bible said, verse 7, Revelation 12, 7, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. This is not a fairy tale. This is reality. Keep, keep going. And prevailed not. Who prevailed not? The dragon, the devil. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. Keep going. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, who is your adversary. Hmm? I know you wish you like to think that everybody likes you. <laughs> He is not for you. He's against you. And he's a killer. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a murderer. He's a destroyer. he's, He's not even human. He's not even terrestrial. We'd call him an alien. (laughs) This is real. And those that are with him. And they don't care about human beings. We're nothing to them. He has a God complex. He wants to be God. He thinks this planet is his. He wants all, everything. He wants us out of the way. And the ones he hates the most <laughs> are the ones who have been born again. Who are the sons. Oh somebody say the sons. sons. Because it's something he can never be again. It's something he he, he's forfeited. He hates us. Among, Among the reasons why is because he envies us. We are beloved of God. Now compared to him and all these beings... We are preemie babies. We've been in existence that long compared to them, and we just don't know anything compared to what they've seen and what they've heard and known throughout the eons. And yet, God, the Creator, has claimed us for His own and has made us a permanent part of His family And has predestined us to develop and rule and reign with him throughout the ages. It's what he and those that defected and rebelled with him, it's what they wanted. They wanted dominion. They wanted authority. They wanted to be gods. And they never will be. They're still trying to be. But it's it's already done. Have you read the back of the book? (laughs) It's already done. God has spoken the word. It's just a matter of time. But us, they, they are fading. They are, their life and their orbit is smoking. We're just 
beginning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And our future is so bright. Oh, so the Bible said we're going to shine like the stars in glory. It doesn't yet appear who and what we are. You can't tell it by looking at us right now. Oh, but it's going to be evident because of who is for us. The Bible says that the master himself will claim us in that day. That we are his brethren. He's going to claim us before all beings in all realms. That the devil, the uh, didn't didn't and is not going to prevail. The Satan, which deceives the whole world, that's his primary effective weapon. Is deception. Just like the truth will make you free, lies will imprison you. Lies blind and lies bind. He deceives the whole world. It's happening right now. Billions of people are in total spiritual darkness on this planet. Worship rocks and stars and count beads and spin wheels and billions of them do nothing at all. They act like there is no God. They are deceived by the God of this world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Keep going. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. This is insight into how he is against us, how he is our adversary. Is everybody okay? I know some of this is involved, but I'm just reading scriptures. Right? How how does your adversary function against you? Yeah, he's against you. What does he do? How does he take action to put that into effect? Something he does without stopping. Night and day. Is what? accuse you before God. He accuses you to God. Now the more you learn about this, the more you're going to hate him. Why would he do that? Why would it be an issue? He is a created being and a fallen being. He cannot just come destroy you when he wants to. If he could, not a one of us would be breathing in here tonight. (laughs) He'd have took us out a long time ago. And everybody like us. The reason he hadn't already taken you out, he has not been able to. God has kept you. Is that right? And he hadn't, hadn't been able to get access to you. But that's what this is about. This is about getting access to you. 
getting judgment against you so he can get to you. That's what the accusation is about. Didn't we just read this in Job? Not too many weeks ago. Hmm? We'll go back there. Job 1. Well, let me, let me finish reading this. Excuse me. Finish reading this first. The accused, our brethren, the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they what? And the devil destroyed all of them. Huh? No. They what? They, the brethren. That's you and me. The brethren overcame him, the accuser of the brethren, the devil, the dragon, by two things. Two things. Somebody say two things. Not, not just one, two things. One of them we didn't do. One of them we do. Two things. They overcame him, the adversary, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Oh, hallelujah. How, how, how are we sober and vigilant where our adversary is concerned? No, he's accusing you. He's trying to build a case against you. He's trying to get judgment against you. He's trying to get access to you. So what's important? What's important is that I know what's been done for me by the blood of the Lamb. And my testimony is in agreement with that. His accusation is a factor. The blood of the Lamb is a factor. And my testimony is a factor in whether he can get to me or whether he can't. Go with me to... uh, Job, and let's remind ourselves of how this works. Who's against whom? God's for me. Right? The devil's against me. Shouldn't be scared about it, but I shouldn't be dumb about it either. I should realize he's trying to get something. He's always trying to start something. He's a sorry cuss. I'm not going to shed a tear when he gets thrown in the pit. Hmm? He, you talk about evil sorry. Him and all his cohorts. cohorts. That's what they do. Why? He wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. Why don't he just do it? He can't. (laughs) Unless he can get access. Did the Bible tell us neither give place to the devil? In Ephesians, did he say, don't don't give the devil any opportunity, any space, any place? What does that mean? It means you can give him place. And it means be on your watch and don't. How do people give him place? Well, go to Job, first chapter, Job chapter 1, we actually get a behind the scenes look, (laughs) it's interesting, of uh, activities 
of angels and the enemy and God. And uh, Revelation just got through telling us that the enemy does this against the brethren night and day. In Job 1, verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, or the Hebrew there, the word is literally adversary. The adversary came also among them. And the Lord said to Satan, the adversary, Whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Does that sound familiar? Just read that in First Peter. What's he doing? Going to and fro. Is that right? What's, what's he doing? We can put Peter with this. What's he going to and fro in the earth and up and down in it? What's, what's he looking for? Those he can destroy, devour. Verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, the King James is a little bit rough on this. If you look in the margin, the margin of my Bible says, the Hebrew literally says, have you set your heart on? The way some people read this, it's like God brought Job up <laughs> and said, hey, how about, how about Job? Have you thought about attacking him? I wouldn't be somebody that's for you. That's not what happened. Look look up the Hebrew. Like I said, it's even in the margin of my Bible. Have you set your heart on? It's like always. God's always ahead of the enemy. He knows the enemy's been doing his best to get to him. Have you set your heart on him? There's none like him. Perfect, upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. Keep going. Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? What's he, what, what's he doing right now? He, he's beginning to accuse Job to God and to question his faith, Job's faith, question Job's heart, question Job's motives. What's he saying? Well, we'll keep reading. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? How does he know so much about that? Because he's been around it a thousand times trying to get to him and cannot. He can't do any. Oh, he, he would have killed Job a thousand times over, but he couldn't get to him. So what's he try, that's what he's trying to do right now. How can he get to him? Get judgment against him that would allow him access. Now, if you haven't understood this, don't throw it away. Did you hear those phrases I just mentioned to you? Judgment against that allows access to. And uh, you've blessed the work of his hands. His substance has increased. In the land. But if you'll put forth your hand now and touch all he has, he will curse you to your face. The adversary has done this with your name instead of Job. 
Did we read Revelation or not? Accused who? Brethren. How often? Day and night. Now some of it he might not have all done personally, but his those that are under him have done things too. But he's tried, he's accused you. What's he saying? Well, yeah, no wonder I mean, sure. He serves you. You've made him a rich man. But if the riches wasn't there, he wouldn't be there. And if he lost all of this, he'd curse you to your face. His faith in you is not real. It's not there. Accusations. Accusing. The language, in fact, in the Greek and the Hebrew, it's like a courtroom scene. It's like a prosecuting attorney presenting a case against the defendant, accusing them of crimes. And to get a judgment against, if you're found guilty, what's supposed to happen next? Punishment. Is that right? Punishment. Somebody said, yeah, but Brother Keith, that's all Old Testament. No, it's not all Old Testament. We've already read scriptures of the New Testament, but somebody said that. Hold your place. Go to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians eleven. Well, uh, let's let's go back to chapter five first. Um, we're getting something to chew on tonight. Not just uh, skim milk, huh? Something to chew on a little bit, a little bit stronger. That's good. I said, that's good. And that's supposed to be on a bottle your whole life. In uh, 1 Corinthians, is 1 Corinthians in the New Testament? I want everybody to go on record. Is is 1 Corinthians in the New Testament? Is it for believers? Because there's a whole lot of folks nowadays, they're taking books out of the New Testament and saying they don't apply to us. Don't you believe it? But in case you're confused about some of that, how about 1 Corinthians? Are you, do you feel good about 1 Corinthians? <laughs> Being for believers yes. today. Yes. Are they a part of the same church? Yes. So truths and the way things were happening with them be the same way things are happening with us. Yes, yes or no? Yes. Good, good. <laughs> then we got something to work with. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1. It's reported commonly that there's fornication among you. Such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now this wasn't his mother, but it'd be his stepmother. And uh, this guy and his stepmother, stepmother left his father, and they are living together, and they're also part of the church at Corinth. Why would they be? Uh, I, I won't go into all this, but if you read this in 2 Corinthians, you'll see that there were perversions of the message of grace going around even then at the church at Corinth and other places that all things are permissible because of grace. <laughs> it's quiet in here. 
He got his father's wife because, of course, they must have been in love. <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> and verse 2, you're puffed up. Well, what would they be puffed up about? The church has got no problem with this? Huh? Why? What would they be puffed up about? They think they are enlightened. They have a greater revelation of grace that other people don't haven't gotten that allows you to do things like this and still be okay. <laughs> You've not rather mourned that he that has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I verily as absent in body but present in the spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. Hold on, Paul. That don't sound like grace to me. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one to Satan. Huh? Huh? That sounds like Old Testament. And yet it's what? You, you told me it was. You to Deliver such a one to Satan for, for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He's talking about some things transpiring that would result in the enemy having access to these individuals. And if he does have access, what's going to happen next? Destruction. But apparently the hope is that even if some flesh things are destroyed, they'll repent and their hearts will be right with God and they'll be okay in the end. Can you see this? But part of what he warned about, if this is not dealt with, it will go through the whole church. Hmm? Is this New Testament or not? Almost sounds foreign. The way some people think nowadays. Go to the 11th chapter. The 11th chapter. He said, verse 27, well, let's verse 26. As oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what they were doing is they were being disrespectful of communion and of the body and blood of the Lord. They, they weren't just coming in like we do and taking elements and, 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 and honoring the Lord. They, they came in and had a full meal and people were being gluttonous and they were being drunk. And there were people over here that didn't have much going hungry. And it was just a big mess. And they were being disrespectful. And they were making light of the blood that saved us and washed us. They were making light and trivial of the body. Verse 28, let a man examine himself. And so eat of that bread and drink of that cup. It's about respect and honor. Hmm? 
I'm convinced a lot of folks have gotten too casual. And it's not about, you know, being stiff and formal. It's about respect. It's about honor. Right? Our God's a great God. He's an awesome God. The blood of the Lamb is amazing. It is eternal life giving. Sin cleansing. None of that should be handled foolishly or haphazardly like it's nothing. And yet what you hear a lot of people saying, oh, God don't care. God don't care. God doesn't care. To hear people talk, he doesn't really care about anything. Doesn't matter how you do it. Show up. Flop it down. Give it a pass. Whatever. If we want to. No respect. Reason I'm saying this, this can give the enemy access. Not my idea. Keep reading, verse 29. He said, For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Many sleep means they've died prematurely. Sickness, weakness, premature death in the New Testament church. Keep verse 31. For what? What's the solution? If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. How did they overcome the accuser? Two things. Blood of the Lamb. Word of their testimony. If we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, why? Because we didn't judge ourselves. We're chastened of the Lord. That we should not be condemned with the world. When. Go go with me to Exodus please. I'll explain this as you go there. Exodus 12. When people read things like this. Especially reading the King James. and Even other translations. and, And with some. People's doctrines. They think well God. God did it. God did it. Because the scripture will actually say, especially in the King James, God did it. But notice this in Exodus 12. And you get some real insight into how this is happening. I think we'll just go ahead and give you both barrels tonight. What do do you think? Huh? (laughs) He told them in Exodus 12... To keep the Passover. And he had warned uh, Pharaoh and his household that he was going to pass through and smite all the firstborn in the land. King James language. Are you there in Exodus 12? Verse 11. You'll eat it, the Passover, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in a hurry. It's the Lord's Passover. This is a faith meal. What's he saying? Eat it with dressed, shoes on, bags packed. Why? We're leaving. You're you're slaves. You're Egyptians. You're property of the Egyptians. Why would you think you're going anywhere? This is a faith meal. God said, I'm taking you out. Pack your bags. Get ready. Put Put the blood on the doorpost. Take the body of the lamb. Two things he told them to do. Apply the blood and take the eat the body. Sound familiar? 
But eat it in a hurry. And eat it ready to go. Glory to God. Oh man, things happen when you do it in faith. And when you're in faith about something, you are ready for something to happen. He said, it's the Lord's Passover. For, verse 12, are you there? For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, man and beast against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute what? What? Judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague will not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, in, in the King James, in, in English, it says it as plain as you can say it. I'm going to smite the firstborn, God says. But read just a few verses later. Verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. You'll take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that's in the basin. None of you shall go out at the door of his house till the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will what? Will what? What's actually going to happen? Who's actually doing the destroying? It's the destroyer. And he's telling them to do this so that what? So that he can prevent the destroyer from getting to them. Come, Oh, can you see it? Can you see it? And yet in the previous language, he said, I'm going to do it. He didn't actually do the destroying. Are you reading the, are you reading the scripture or not? The Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. When he sees the blood, the Lord will pass over the the door and will not suffer, that means allow, the destroyer to come into you, to your houses, to smite you. And yet both of them are accurate. So why why did the Lord say he did it? Well, did you see that word uh, in, in verse 12? I will execute judgment. He is the righteous judge of all the earth. And what happened? Because of Pharaoh and his house and their defiance and God's word, covenant word to Abram centuries before, this is going to happen. Right? And God has an obligation to keep his word and to do what is right and fair. And he did he give them a chance to repent or not? Did, did Pharaoh and his house... They had all kind of chances to repent. And what, what is shown here is that they never were going to. If they had lived that long, they'd still be saying no today. So what did he do? He passed judgment. It allowed the destroyer access. Except for the people that obeyed him. <laughs> oh, come on, can you see that? And for those people, the destroyer couldn't touch them. There were some the enemy could devour, but there was a whole bunch he may not devour. Oh, can you see it? Can you see it? Oh, hallelujah. In uh, Lamentations, the third chapter and the 32nd verse. Don't you, you don't have to turn there. They'll put it on the screen for us. Lamentations 332. 
Talking about God. Though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion. According to the multitude of his mercies, verse 33. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. God is perfectly right and perfectly fair and perfectly just. No matter how much he loves you, he's not going to lie for you. He's not going to pervert justice for you. Come on, are you with me? He's perfectly just and righteous and true and pure. And when people don't listen to him, and they don't judge themselves. What's going to happen next? Or eventually. You're going to be judged. But it does, if God passes judgment. That allows the destroyer access. It is not his will. It does not please him. And he didn't even pass the judgment willingly. Can you see this or not? This is true about what has happened. It's true about what's going to happen even in the end of all things. With all the judgment. Brother Jesse Duplantis tells of an experience he had going to heaven. And he said he saw the master. And he said there are many wonderful things that he talks about if you've heard his testimony. But he said one of them, at one point the Lord looked at him and, and he looked sober. Serious. And he told him he was not looking forward to that day. The day of judgment. He's love. Can you see this? In 1 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter 3.9. Do we really believe this verse? 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. He's long suffering to us. What? Read it out loud. What? We just got through reading, not willing, he doesn't willingly afflict. What does that mean? Pass judgment that allows the destroyer access. He doesn't do that willingly. Why? Because he's not willing that the enemy should have access to anybody or steal from anybody or kill anybody or destroy anybody. Some folks were going on, actually unbelievers, on TV one time about talking about, you know, if God is real and God is love how can love send people to hell? Especially some people, and they said, some, you know, people talking about us, stupid people, they, they talk about believing in eternal hell, and, and yet they turn around and say, God is love. How can love do that? I asked the Lord, I was sitting there thinking, I said, Lord, how do I answer something like that if it came up with me? What's, what do I say? And just like that, it came right up in my spirit. He said, Keith, it's not my choice. You believe that or not? It's not my choice. He gave that choice to us. Is that right? And if people are judged and people go to hell instead of heaven, it was not God's will. It was not even His choice. What the scriptures say? He is what? He's not willing that how many? He's not willing that what? Any. Any 
should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Without taking time to look into it, if you read the book of Job, uh, Job actually did pretty good in the first couple of chapters. They had no idea there was a devil. No clue. This is way, uh, apparently these writings go way, way, way back. And they were not aware of the enemy coming and accusing Job like he did. And of all these things. But at one point Job cried out prophetically. He said, oh, that there was a daysman betwixt us. Somebody that'd take my side. Somebody that between me and God. He's prophesying. I said he's prophesying. Oh, go to 1 John 2. I said go to 1 John 2 because that prophecy has been fulfilled. He said, oh, that there was a a daysman. That that means a mediator. If there's somebody's against us, if there's a prosecuting attorney, what do we need? What do we need? We need an attorney for our defense. We need somebody that's on our side, looking out for us, pleading our case. Don't we? Job knew he needed it. Didn't believe he had it. And at that point, he didn't. (laughs) Jesus hadn't come yet. Oh, but are you in 1 John? 1 John? Oh, makes me want to get ready to run right now. 1 John 2? My little children? These things write to you that you sin not. Now, there's, there's a lot of folks try to tell you. doesn't make any difference what you do. Nothing really is sin. And if it is, it's already been paid for. It's already been taken care of. Well, it has. But if you violate your conscience and you don't do what you should do, the enemy can get access to you. And stuff can get destroyed in your life. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. doesn't mean you're no longer his kid. But it means you didn't listen. He said, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a what? We have a what? We have a what? That's a legal term. Advocate. Somebody say, I have representation. Now say this, Jesus, represent. Represent what? Represent what? He represents me. Oh, come on. Some, somebody didn't get that. Some... <laughs> if any man sin, we, we, it's not the whole world. Those that have believed on him received him. We have an advocate with the Father. What's his name? What's his name? Jesus. The Christ. The Son of God. The righteous one. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only. But also for the sins of the whole world. If they would let him. Hallelujah. Every day of our lives. The enemy. If it's not him personally. It's those that's under him. Somebody he's assigned to your case. And mine. I know it's not a nice thought, but we need to be awake. We need to be looking at this. And what's the, what are these 
imps these spirits trying to do? Anything that you say can and will be used against you. Not just in the court of the law of the land, in the high court. Didn't Hebrews say that he is the apostle and high priest of our confession? What does that mean? He works with what I say. I don't care what kind of attorney you've got. You can have the best attorney in the world. You take the, you take the stand. The prosecution comes and hits on you and pressures you and you go, <laughs> I did it. Yeah, I'm guilty of sin. I did. You're done. Is that, I don't care who your attorney is. You are done. You're done. And if the judge is not crooked, I don't care if he likes you. You're done. He, if he's a righteous judge, what does he have to do? He has to wrap the gavel. Is that right? Find you guilty or, you know, in those days there was no uh, jury. <laughs> and in this case, there's no jury either. That's, that's something we've developed. The judge makes the call. Period. And there is no appeal. <laughs> if if you're dumb. If you're dumb. The enemy comes and you said such and such and you did such and such. You didn't obey the Lord and, and then you yielded to the flesh and you did this and that. You deserve to be sick. You deserve to be broke. You deserve to be destroyed. And you go, I know it. I know it. I'm the sorriest excuse for a Christian you ever saw in your life. I'm a miserable failure. I did, it. I did all that stuff and worse. I know I did. Yeah. <laughs> You're done. Come on, help me out. You're, you're done. Done. Because <laughs> even though you got a good advocate, you got to listen to your advocate. If you get attacked, the enemy's trying to set something up against you. Your advocate, he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He'll show up right there. Even if you feel like you've been thrown in the cell, he'll show up and go, I'm with you. I got this. Uh And slip you a book. Uh It says, now, this is all you say. Uh Uh I don't care what the enemy pushes you about. I don't care what you feel. This Uh is all you say. Now, practice it with me. Okay. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Washed by the blood, blood. I deserve no punishment. I I don't care what he brings up. I don't care what he comes. Come on, let's do it one more time. I'm innocent. I'm washed by the blood. I deserve no punishment. Revelation 12, how did they overcome the accuser of the brethren? How? How? Blood of the Lamb. 
Word of their testimony. You, you won't see all that happens behind the scenes. But the enemy's trying to build a case against you. So he can get, get, get judgment against you. So he can get access to you. And, what, and you, you need to play it cool. You need to stay with your advocate. And if the enemy pressures you. You lied. You did this. You messed up. You yielded to the flesh. You go. I'm innocent. How do you plead? I plead innocent. By the blood of the lamb. Yeah. But we have video of you doing this. And we have. And they'll go to play it. And it'll be blank. Wash. Wash by the blood. Wash by the blood. Yeah, but we got audio, and they'll go to play it, and it's just hiss. It's just static. Why? Wash by the blood. Wash by the... So I told you. I told you I'm innocent. Wash by the blood. No, you said this. You did this. You have been disobedient. You have failed. You didn't do what God told you to do. You hurt these people. You were mean. You were ugly. You did all this. You go... I'm innocent. <laughs> I'm innocent. Come on, help me out. I'm innocent. What did your advocate tell you to do? I'm innocent. Washed by the blood. I deserve no punishment. No punishment. And the righteous judge will only let that go so far. Then he'll say, enough. The attorney for the defense? Yes. Your Honor? My father. Oh, you're feeling good about this already. <laughs> the accused. My brother. Your son. <laughs> has testified. That they are innocent. And they deserve no punishment. I present. Exhibit A. My blood. On the mercy seat. <laughs> and the father says. The court has accepted that evidence. You've heard the accused, my brother, your son, (laughs) testify. They deserve no sickness. Hmm? Innocent. Present for the court's uh, uh, evidence. Exhibit B, my stripes. The father says the court has accepted that evidence. And just like that, it's all over with. No judgment. No access. Come on, y'all with me. How did you overcome? How, come on, how? But that's not just the blood of the Lamb. You have to work. If you, if you start talking unbelief, I'm not going to make it. This is not going to work. I don't deserve it. Well, that's true. You don't deserve it. Don't mean you can't get it. It's already been bought and paid for and given to you. It's not about you earning anything. Practice it again. How do you plead? Come on, help me. How do you plead? Innocent. Huh? By the blood of the Lamb. I deserve no punishment. (laughs) Now, that's only because of the blood of the Lamb, but it is true because of the blood of the Lamb. 
You deserve. Why? Because he was punished for that. Is that right? Yeah, you've messed up. And yes, I have. But he was punished for that. He was judged for that. And the sentence was given. And the adversary actually took him into the heart of the earth. Are you listening? And we don't know what he endured and dealt with for those three days and nights. But we know that justice was satisfied. And the father spoke from on high. And the enemy had taken him unlawfully because he had committed no sin. He was worthy of no punishment. What resulted was he was raised from the dead without sin. That was our sin. That was our sin. Come on, are you listening? Oh, hallelujah. And now he is our advocate. At the right hand of majesty on high where he ever lives to make intercession. That's not not prayer. That's a legal term. Make intercession for us. The reality is more in line with what we've been talking about tonight. He speaks on your and my behalf at the throne. He stands up for those who identify with him. Is that you? Stand on your feet.